Storytelling is the language of leadership. On this episode, three anchor stories that will help you to influence more successfully. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 325. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. One of the topics of conversation that comes up in our academy all the time and on emails I get for the Q&A show is how to become a more effective storyteller as a leader. So many of us have heard that we should utilize storytelling in our communication skills. I have said for years that storytelling is really the language of leaders, and yet it is a skill that many of us still struggle with. And I am really glad today to be able to revisit this topic. It will not be, it's not the first time and it's not going to be the last time. Uh, and I'm really glad to be able to welcome Ryan Williams to the show. He is returning to the podcast. And Ryan is a media strategist, international speaker, and he's the author of the best selling book, The Influencer Economy. He's interviewed over 100 world-class storytellers who have built ideas online, such as Seth Godin, Brad Feld, Derek Sievers, Troy Carter, Jamel Hill, and many others. Ryan's work has been featured in Inc. Magazine, The Huffington Post, Success Magazine, Social Media Examiner, and USA Today. And he's also a podcaster as well that's titled Stories from the Influencer Economy. Today, he's going to be teaching us about the three anchor stories that we need. Ryan, I'm so glad to welcome you back to the show. Dave, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me back again. Oh, the pleasure is mine. You and I talk all the time. I'm so glad to call you a friend. And I'm really glad that you have been working on getting the word out about the influencer economy and teaching people around the world over the last couple of years. Um, one of the things I know you've been thinking a lot about in the last uh, year is the importance of storytelling. What's gotten you even more interested in this over the last year or so as you've been talking with businesses all over the world? Well, I've I've I just understood the power of story, and I'll actually use you as an example. That I, I went on your show a year and a half ago, and since then, so many people in my network, friends, former colleagues, my cousin-in-law, ha have heard me on your show. And you understand the power of story. You understand that leadership comes from storytelling. And when I work with companies or businesses, there's a great book called "Making Ideas Happen" by a guy named Scott Belsky, and he he says that it's the business world isn't, there's not an idea meritocracy, meaning the best ideas don't win. And the way I interpret that is the best stories often win and not always the best products, ideas, or business plans. So ultimately, when we all think about our story, it's really how can we connect with people anytime, anywhere, in any room by telling the right anchor stories to get us ahead? One of the things that I hear from that people, I think, struggle with with storytelling is they hear the word storytelling. They've heard that they need to be good at it or at least attempted in, in leadership. And I think a lot of people have a, have a hard time with just that word, getting their head around, oh, you know, this is starting to feel like high school drama club. <laughs> I was never good at that. And how am I supposed to become a storyteller all of a sudden and be dramatic and all those things? When you hear that, Ryan, what do you say to people? I say to people, you don't have to be Shakespeare or uh, Spielberg or uh, Ellen DeGeneres to tell a great story. 
And ultimately, all of us, we need to have three great anchor stories to connect because ultimately, it's so competitive. And the problems I see right now are that a lot of us, we have these hard skills, but we don't know how to lead because ultimately, you need to connect with people emotionally as an authority and an expert to really thrive in the new economy because ultimately, people are going to get lost in the noise. Ultimately, you know, I'm, I had to turn off the notifications on my cell phone to make sure I could focus on this. You know, I go to airplane mode when I'm in a meeting and so many of us have our, t- our cell phones on us at all times. It's so distracting that the power of story is really what can help us uh, take our work to the next level. And it is really the difference maker. One of the things that people have asked me over the years, my, of course, have been associated with Dale Carnegie's, what's the power of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Why does that book stand out so much when so many of the concepts in the book seem very common sense? And one of the first things I always say is, it's the stories. It's, it's not the content per se, although the content is fabulous, but there's many great books out there that have similar content. But Carnegie was a master storyteller. And we look at a lot of the great works out there, and they really, they really are, they tap into the power of story. And, and so one of the things I've, I was thinking about in leading up to our conversation, Ryan, was just how do we make the distinction between really being an authentic storyteller and being telling stories that kind of have that BS factor to it, or it just sounds scripted and it's not really authentic. And I, I think everyone knows what I mean about that, but I, I, how do you see that? What's the distinction between them? Well, one of the reasons I think we both uh, get along well is that we, we've interviewed hundreds of people for our podcasts. And we've heard so many stories that we could probably tell you that they're, like what types of stories work and what don't. And for me, I remember I had a podcast guest and this person was very well known as, as their fellow podcaster. And they told me the story about their struggle. And they were saying, oh, I got laid off from my job. I was um, sleeping on my girlfriend's couch and she broke up with me. And I realized I had no network. And I thought, wow, that's the payoff here. Like that's really the payoff. And, but this person had told the story so many times that I called that being authentically rehearsed. And being authentically rehearsed is like when you go on a talk show like Ellen DeGeneres or Leno or even Carson back in the day, all these great talk shows, these celebrities like Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and Muhammad Ali back in the day, these people had these great stories that they had been written out and rehearsed. And that's what authentically rehearsed storytellers do. And I think we can all learn from performers to tell riveting and powerful stories and realize that there's BS stories that people tell really well, um, but the majority of us have great stories that we undervalue and we let others tell our stories. And so ultimately, storytelling really matters and the authenticity happens. And I, I always ask people, you know, when I, when I, on my podcast, like, what is their definition of authenticity? And I'm a firm believer that from crowdsourcing the answer, authenticity is having your actions match your words. And so many of us say things that we don't have our actions follow. And so if you want to be authentic with your storying, you need to show what you do, not tell people what you do. And you need to actually have the actions of your examples of the metaphors and the power of what you're talking about being shown to people rather than just telling people and talking at them. So part of what I'm hearing you say here is this isn't just storytelling in the moment, that there is an element, in fact, a foundational element of preparation that goes into this as well, too, if you're really going to be authentic in your storytelling. And it's actually making me think back to a recent show we did with Tom Henschel, Ryan, where he talked about the importance of the elevator speech and laying the groundwork for that 
in advance of ever needing it. So that if you've done some thinking about that and how you might utilize some of the communications prior to getting asked the question that generates the elevator speech, sounds like you're saying the same thing here with story of we should take some time in advance to be thinking about what would we say in situations as they arise, but also there's an aspect of rehearsal that goes with those two. Absolutely. You need to script, write, and practice, practice, practice. All right. This is good. So you have been interviewing hundreds of influencers over the last couple of years. You've written this best-selling book. You've given talks all over the place. And one of the interesting things you found is you've identified three types of stories that you say are the anchor stories, the stories that really all of us need to have at least one version of for those situations we are going to find ourselves in, in the business world and professionally. So why don't we look at, the, at, at these three models? And the first one you call the tearjerker story or the origin story. Uh, frame that for me. What do you mean by that? So the three stories really came from, you know, for background, you know, I interviewed over a hundred people from my podcast, you know, people that we've, we have both interviewed, like Adam Grant of Give and Take, you know, the famed author from Wharton and Seth Godin, and uh, other people that have really mastered the art of storytelling. And I found that, you know, when analyzing TED Talks and working with clients and using all my background in video game marketing, entertainment, and technology, I've, I found this tearjerker story is so often told. And it's part of your origin story. And it's a story that personalizes your experience to show how you overcame an obstacle in order to succeed. And it's really something that defines who you are today. And I, when I talk to people often in a corporate environment, they say, well, Ryan, I've lived an ordinary life. I wish I could tell you I had some tearjerker, but I don't. And so for the tearjerker is often when you were an outsider and you're someone who was not in you're the, the old way of doing things was, was the enemy of what you were doing. And, and in storytelling, you may notice this with, with politicians, is they often have an enemy and they pick someone who's done the opposition and they say, I'm going to upend everything that person did, or I'm going to make what they, that my rival did and, and make it 10 times better. There's a, a great book by a guy named Marty Newbuyer, and it's called uh, The Brand Flip. And he also wrote a book called Zag. He talks about how in advertising, you need an enemy at times. And oftentimes that enemy is the old way of doing things. And so when you're telling your story as a tearjerker and how you overcame the obstacle, often that means that you were an outsider or you were not the status quo or you're showing leadership skills. And so you need to think about your outsider perspective, how you overcame something with your tearjerker in a way that makes people resonate and connect with you more emotionally. So you're looking for that story that has that emotional component of it. How do you get someone started on this, Ryan? So you, you tell this to someone, they say, okay, what do you mean? I don't have that tearjerker story. I've not had a life where I've run in those situations. Where do you go next? Well, if you're listening to this and you have a pen and paper, and you know, you've, you've turned off your notifications on your cell phone because you're focusing like I am, you want to you wanna think about what are three headlines in your life where you have experienced a tearjerker moment? One example is I used to struggle with depression in my early 20s, and I overcame that and pivoted my career to be a successful marketer and business person and ended up working at machinima.com and we helped launch the video game Minecraft. And, and I, get, I get into a bigger story around that, right? So my headline would be, you know, former depressed man runs marketing campaign for global best-selling video game. Um, another example would be I did stand-up comedy and I was actually performed at the DC Improv and all over the East Coast. I've done comedy 50 times. And I think that's really overcoming an obstacle because I wasn't necessarily a funny person. 
And then, you know, third example would be, you know, something like I went from uh, public school to boarding school. And that's not that compelling. So what I did, and I, and I think this is important, is if you write these three headlines down, and so then you analyze them and say, okay, well, are these stories that are compelling? And maybe you practice them, maybe you get feedback, maybe you rehearse them, and you start talking about them, and then you can mash up the stories. So when I tell my real tearjerker, I say, hey, you know what? I was a struggling stand-up comedian, and I was also clinically depressed at the same time. I'll let you be the judge if I was funny or not. <laughs> And I give that in my opening talk, in my opening signature talk as my first story. And I mashed up the tearjerkers. And so with people listening today, let's say you were an outsider in your business field and your startup got, you know, you're a startup person, you got acquired to become a corporate employee, or you got a raise at work for learning a new skill, or something happens where you were transformed your business career based on something that wasn't expected. It could be counterintuitive. And so write those headlines down and then analyze them and talk to people and get feedback. And maybe a combination of those three headlines is your story. Because ultimately, we don't want to just sit here and tell boring stories. We're not listening to this podcast to tell a boring story. We yeah. need to make them compelling. And we got to get feedback from the market. Like, like pretend you're a stand-up comedian and you're on stage. And if your joke bombs, you got to write new material. Well, and there's so much to learn from comedians. I think you and I talked about this last time you were on too, is for instance, tendency, we're like, oh, that's comedy. That's not... But comedians do this all the time. They practice. They are always sourcing material. They're testing it constantly. Anytime you talk to, you know, you listen to the great comedians and their stories, they are, they're masters at doing this. They become very, very disciplined. So part of what I'm hearing you say too here is you got to go test stuff. So just because you think something is maybe the tearjerker, the authentic story, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to resonate with the people around you or maybe the audience for that situation. So I think what you're saying is go Go try and test this. What's the what's the best way to do that? I mean, is it literally like going around to a colleague or friend and saying, "Hey, you know, I, I've got a couple of stories I want to run by you. I'm here's what I'm trying to achieve. Listen, give me some feedback. Is is that how it works, or is there something else to do with it? There's a lot of ways to do it, and that's what's really exciting about your storytelling is that you're it's ever evolving. And you know, another way I recommend you is when you're in client pitches or you're meeting with your colleagues, and let's say you're looking for a new job and you go to an interview. Like I was. You know, I live in Los Angeles and I was interviewing for a full-time job at Hulu and I was pitching myself to get a full-time job and nothing was sticking. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I have great stories. What's going on here? And, and then I told the Minecraft story about how we launched Minecraft from alpha to beta. And I really went into detail about our startup and how um, Minecraft got acquired for $2.5 billion. And our company was at the forefront of the marketing campaign around it with YouTube influencers. And I really painted the picture of what we were doing and this woman was wowed by it. She was floored. And then I thought to myself, okay, I got to tell that story within the first two minutes of any job interview, not the 10 minute mark. Mm. And it's the same thing with anyone else. Like if you get feedback, read people's body language. You know, you can ask for feedback directly or just judge their perception of you. So pay attention is the message here to what, how people respond to the stories you're giving them. So it may not literally be you're getting them assembled and saying, you know, give me feedback on the story, but just not necessarily in- you can do that. But I mean, I think a lot of ways you want to be authentic and have these stories come up in conversation. And if people here are pitching to the board, I mean, and, and you go, if you have the board coming in town next week and you need to get your, your half hour pitch together to present your vision for the team you're running, you rehearse that with your colleagues running up to it. And so you can do more formal, Hey, I want feedback on these stories. But oftentimes, you know, rec- I recommend you insert them into your daily life and you get feedback from people 
organically without them necessarily even think that you're pitching because you know you mentioned you know a past episode talking about the elevator speech and I love that framing of it what I don't like is the framing of the elevator pitch because e- another storytelling recommendation is make your stories a conversation and have them be ongoing and engaging in a way where people feel like they can ask questions or even take some sort of ownership over the story where they're helping you tell it because you want people to buy into what you're saying to help you in the long run. And if I'm going to tell a story to you and just lecture you, like I'm pitching you an elevator, like nothing worse than an elevator pitch. Like I've worked in, I've gotten enough startup pitches where someone gives you a, a 90 second spiel about their company and then that's it. It's take it or leave it. You know, you don't want people to be turned off by you. And so having a conversation around your story is key because ultimately it helps you tell the story through someone else and then they feel part of it. One of the other key things I'm thinking about situations I've been in this has happened is oftentimes the the story you think is going to resonate is not the one that resonates. It's a different story. I I think about this even in this podcast, uh, Ryan, all of times where I'll air an episode and I think, oh, this is going to be a great episode. Everyone's going to love this. It's going to be the one that, you know, people share on social media. And it, Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But I've had it happen many times where an episode that I air, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe this one isn't as relevant to our audience. And that's the episode that everyone ends up talking about. And I have I'm discovered that I'm not really that great a judge for myself. I really need to get data points from others. And I I just hear you saying, you know, get get that get that out there and start talking to people and just watch for reactions and pay attention to that. Yeah. It- Ultimately, your story matters in the context of helping other people. And if you're telling stories to solve problems for others, like another story I talk about, like the three stories you know, within the framework are the tearjerker, and the second one is the authority story, and the third one is the pay my bill story. And so you know, getting into the authority story, you know, that's, that's a story you need to tell that displays your expertise in your specific field. And it's something that's evergreen. It's not necessarily a tearjerker where you overcame something to accomplish a, a big feat. It's something that displays your expertise in your specific field that's evergreen. So in three years, I could probably tell the same story. I'm guessing you hear the same thing with this story that you did with the tearjerker story, which is you say that to people and they say, you know, I've been working for this company for four or five years and I've done kind of things I need to do, but I haven't necessarily had like a big win or one moment where I've really moved the numbers. How do I find that authority story? So what do you say when you hear that? Well, if you feel like you haven't had a big win then take the pressure off yourself and don't look at don't look at yourself as some past fail you know realize that there's color to things and that oftentimes i've realized the best storytellers they're very good at taking a small thing they did and making it seem like a game changer without bsing and i'll, I'll give you an example of my story with minecraft like we launched this video game as a marketing company and it was acquired for $2.5 billion by Microsoft. Minecraft, I don't, Dave, does your family play Minecraft? No, our kids aren't old enough to have gotten into it yet, but I, I, know, I know my days are coming. <laughs> your days are coming. It's an addiction. And we were there. We had that, did the alpha launch and the beta launch, and we did live stream gaming. And it, it's very nuanced. I won't get into the marketing campaign around it. But our team was hungry. We were a startup. We're looking for business, and we wanted to help this game launch. And I tell that story, and I can explain to you why lo- Minecraft launched. And I'm not the game's producer. I'm not the CEO of the company that we're talking about, but I was the director of marketing and I promoted this event and this live stream and this ultimate campaign, which led to this massive success. So I asked people to look inward and think about small victories you've had. 
and think about how that fits into the larger scheme of successful uh, work endeavor that you've had. Don't sell yourself short because you were a smaller piece of the pie for something bigger. Even if your company had 20 million in revenue and you feel like you only contributed to a small part of that, what was that key thing I, I ask you to, to think about? What's the best thing you do in the world that you can teach others about? Like, what's that one skill you do really well that you can teach others about? And that's really your authority story is I can help you learn this thing I did really well that made something very successful. Because when you tell stories, oftentimes you'll notice like with, with your podcast, Dave, people that are the best guests are often teachers, professors in college and in postgrad and business schools, because their job is to be on stage all day telling stories in front of students. Well, and to your point, we talked about preparation earlier. I often have authors on the show and there's many reasons for that. But one of the key reasons is authors have their message together. So we were talking about you know earlier, you know, having thought through in advance what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. Authors really have thought through what they're going to say because they've spent a couple of years of really thinking through to create a book, their thinking and their research and their points. There are exceptions, of course, but by and large, I find authors are better at being able to articulate their points. And that's one of the reasons we have many authors on the show, because they are better guests for our audience of being able to get value out of it. So all all that to support your point of the importance of really taking the time to think through in advance. This isn't something that just is a spontaneous thing in the moment. All right. So tell me, how is the authority story different than the pay my bill story, which is the third one you articulated? The final story is the pay my bills story. And that shares a problem that you're solving with the current customer, or it displays your business thesis. And you're not going in there telling people how much money you make, which is a lot of... Uh, you see a lot of people that are newer to making money, and they say things like you meet him at a conference, and you, Dave, you know this guy, I call him... He's the six figures guy. He'll come into the dinner table and he'll say, yeah, I make six figures doing this X, Y business. And you're like, wait a second, that's really a turnoff to tell me how much money you make within the first five minutes of you telling a story. <laughs> yeah. And so we all know this guy. We don't want to be that guy or gal. And the pay my bills is a something you're doing right now. It's right now. This is a problem I'm solving for a customer. And I can give you a case study immediately to tell you that. Because ultimately, if I can't tell you what I'm doing right now to make money, then I can't tell you how we can work together. But I don't want to frame it in a way, this is how much money I make. I want to frame it as in these are the problems I'm solving for a current customer. And if you don't want to talk about that, then you can enter your business thesis. And this is why authors are so great as guests or people to, to hear speak or give uh, lectures because they have a business thesis. They have a clear outline of what their thesis is. And then they explain it to you and validate it while they're giving a talk or while they wrote the book. Ultimately, you know, the problem solving element is, is what we're missing a lot when we pitch ourselves. Because if I want to help you, Dave, and you come to me for advice or vice versa, and you can't tell me you know, the problem you're solving, then I can't help you. And we have to make it as easy as possible for us to, to grow collaborative relationships. So it's really not about us, even though it's the, the pay my bill story. It's really the story about how do I help others? How am I being useful to other people in the economy? And, and it's our job to find that story. And like you said, even if we're part of a larger organization or corporation, we, we need to be able to articulate that. Like, Where do we add value to actually help people's businesses' lives get better. Absolutely. A startup I worked at, I'll give you an example, a startup I worked at called uh, Digison. We were acquired by Disney for uh, $16 million. And our, our entire business before the acquisition, this is about seven years ago, 
social media was very early. Uh, we were making viral videos at the time. We were building MySpace pages. This dates the story to tell you how long ago it was. We were very early adopters of online video. And Disney's acquired us to be a content studio to make web video content. And we got there and there was no demand for it. They didn't need web video. They had Pixar. They didn't need us. So we pivoted our whole business because the problems we were solving weren't relevant. And it, but we had these great case studies so we could pitch ourselves. And we actually, our founders, we met with Pixar and we ended up launching the first Disney's promoted tweet or the first promoted tweet for anyone for a Disney's Toy Story You know, on social media. We launched up the great Pixar movie, which I'm sure a lot oh, of people yeah. have seen. Ultimately, those were the problems we were solving. And once we, we worked with Pixar and we said, hey, we're solving Pixar's Twitter problem. Suddenly, we got so much more Disney business because they respected us. So even if it's not the thing you're going to be doing tomorrow, the being able to tell the pay my bill story today of what you're doing earns you the credibility to then be in the conversation when your organization, your team, your department does need to pivot what they're doing, which these days, I mean, how many of us haven't been asked to do that in the last six months or a year where we're needing to make a change or pivot or someone gets acquired? I mean, it seems like it happens all the time now. All of us need to adapt. And you framed it very, very, very succinctly in, in a much better way than I did, where it's this way where we have to pivot our work. And I have, I have a paradigm that I've, I work with people on where it's, it's you have to either double down, pivot, or segue. And so double down is you know, the po- poker metaphor, like you, you double down, you put all your chips down and then some to, to go all in because you're really good at your business and it's time to invest and really take it more seriously um, to level up your game. Um, the pivot means you got to rip everything up and just start from scratch. And that's a harder thing to do than you even imagine. The third element here is your segueing. And that's where a lot of people get tripped up. They feel like, you know what, with my brand, my story, my company, I, I have so much work, but I, I don't know how to pivot. I'm failing. And it's like, actually, you know what, you just need to segue. You need to reposition yourself in the market a little bit differently with your story and the work you're doing. And to your point, Dave, you can take something that maybe you've done really, really well, like we did online video really well, and we got acquired for $16 million. That was enough to really show that we were paying our bills, we were self-sufficient, we had garnered some respect within Disney, and we got a seat at the table, and we got a conversation. And I, I, one recommendation is don't discount your past successes in your stories. Don't discount the fact that you don't think all these random things you've done in your career matter. Because if you package them up in the right way in the new economy, stand-up comedy actually helps my career. Uh, But Dave, I'll let you in on a secret. I don't have a Netflix special. I don't have a Comedy Central special. Yeah. yeah. And people may think that because I didn't headline the improv that I was a failure. But ultimately, I can position this now to say, hey, I do public speaking and trainings for a living. I host a podcast. All that comedy experience really did help me. And so when you think about storytelling with Pay My Bills, especially, is how can you segue your past accomplishments and your past growth at an organization and your successes into something bigger and better, which is the newer opportunity because your industry is changing so much. One of the things that many of us are asked to do is to pitch our organizations, customers, our board sometimes, our executive teams. Do we have a moment or two to talk about the pitch story of what's the right way to approach the pitch when you're called upon to do that? Yes, absolutely. The, the pitch is, is, is fascinating. And for me, I, I've studied advertising pitches you know, because I've worked in startups and I've seen founders of startups that have been able to get venture capitalists, give them $14 million to invest in an idea. And so much of the pitch 
is telling a compelling story and connecting with people. Um, and then now I'm focusing a lot more on the Hollywood pitch and helping clients to understand how to think about yourself as a screenwriter or pitching a movie. And so I had a, a guy I just I've interviewed recently, uh, Billy Ray. He was nominated for an Oscar for Captain Phillips for best screenplay. And that the pitch got him in the room. And so ultimately, when you pitch, you have to read the room and think about the other guys and gals' shoes and what they're wearing and what shoes they're in. Because you have to figure that you're making a compelling business story. And so for this guy, he wants to show them, hey, I'm a writer and I can tell brilliant stories through scripts and you know, wow you with my dialogue and my subtext. But if I can't show you why you're going to make money off this or that I respect the fact that you need to make money off it, then I'm in the wrong room. And ultimately, some of the best storytellers in Hollywood fail because they can't think about what the other person wants. And they don't think about, hey, this person needs to make a million dollars on this movie script because they're not in their shoes. My dad is a concrete and plastics uh, burial vault manufacturer in Des Moines, Iowa. And that's the advice he always gave me in job interviews. Think about what the other guy's shoes are like and what he's wearing and how to reach that person. Because ultimately, your pitch needs to be tailored to the right audience. Because all these stories we're talking about really are pitches at the end of the day. And you can repurpose the content. So once you anchor these three stories, you build a pitch around it to sell your product. And that story is what matters the most because people buy, sell, hire the folks that they like to be around. And the stories are the definition of, of, of likability when it comes to selling yourself. It's all about the audience, isn't it, Ryan? And we, you know, we started the conversation earlier talking about Dale Carnegie, and we could probably finish with the same the quote from Carnegie, which is, try honestly to see things from the other person's point of view. And so many people, professionals, business owners, founders, like you said, miss that truly in these stories and in the pitches of what does my audience need from this? How do I serve my audience? Well, whoever that audience is, if we can start with that orientation, whenever we're walking into a situation where we communicate, boy, we're so much more effective in being able to get uh, our story across, our message, and ultimately being able to do things that benefit both parties, which is what we're all after, right? You want to make it a a win-win for everyone involved. Brian, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know you need to run. I am so grateful for you taking the time to share these three uh, key anchor stories with us, the tearjerker, the authority story, and the pay my bill story. Uh, We're going to have lots of details on the show notes, of course, as well. And if you found Ryan's wisdom helpful, I hope you'll uh, check out his book, The Influencer Economy as well. Tons more in there that'll get you thinking about uh, a lot of the new ways that all of us are needing to think in this, uh, this new economy. Ryan, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And actually, I'd like to offer, if people want I, my handbook on how to tell a story as a leader, I can give them a special link on my website. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, please. You know, Go to influencereconomy.com and we'll do slash coaching. And I'll give them a free handbook on how to tell killer stories for your business. Fabulous. Thanks so much for offering that. And we'll have that in this week's weekly leadership guide as well. All right, my friend. Thanks so much, Dave. My pleasure. You heard me say earlier that storytelling is the language of leadership. It is worth it to get better at this. And as you've undoubtedly heard on this show many times, if you've been listening for a while, it comes back to us, how we start. You heard it today from Ryan, too. If we want to get better at influencing others, it starts with thoughtfulness about how we are going to convey our message. And if you're anything like me, this is the time of the year that you do tend to turn internally a little more and think about how to get better at the coming year and beyond. So 
I'm sharing with you a free resource today that I know will help with that. It is called the Life Score Assessment, and it was created by Michael Hyatt. For those of you who don't know who Michael is, he's a really popular leadership author and blogger, and he's been a past guest on the show. And for the last several years, he's been helping people all over the world to get really clear on where they're going at the start of the coming year. And the very first step in the process is the life score assessment. You know already that assessments are really powerful tools. You've heard me talk about StrengthsFinder on the show before. You've heard me talk about Myers-Briggs and several of the other popular assessments out there. I believe that assessments work best when they get you thinking about what's next. That's why I'm recommending this free assessment for you so you can begin to be intentional about planning what's next. LifeScore will help you in just about 10 minutes identify both an awareness and a ranking for yourself in the key areas that we talk about a lot on this show, career, relationships, even health and family, and a bunch of other areas. You'll know where you stand now, and that's the first step in where you're going to go next into the new year. Now, depending on when you're listening to this episode, it may not be quite available right now. It's going to launch this coming Wednesday, November 29th, and we've affiliated with Michael Hyatt's team again to offer it free to our community. If you would like access, just go to this link after this coming Wednesday. It's coachingforleaders.com slash lifescore. Also, watch your email for more details. It'll be in this week's leadership guide when it does launch. And even more resources coming from me in the next few weeks on 2018 planning. For those of you who really want to start the new year strong like I do, there's going to be a ton more you can engage with me on personally this year around 2018 planning. So watch for that in the next couple of weeks here on episodes and over email. And while you're online, if you haven't already, please activate your free membership for the Coaching for Leaders website, especially if you've just started listening to the show recently. It will give you access to a ton of resources within the free membership portal. In addition, the 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It is the best of the best from the last six years of this podcast. I've put it together in 10 minutes a day for 10 days to give you the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. You can register right now for free at coachingforleaders.com. Now, a few related episodes to today's conversation with Ryan. Uh, as you expect, we've talked about storytelling a bunch on this podcast in the past, and uh, specifically three episodes that I know will be helpful to you if you found today's conversation insightful and it's getting you thinking about how you can communicate more effectively with storytelling. Uh, first of all, check out episode number 148 with David Hutchins. The title of that episode was The Four Critical Stories Leaders Need for Influence. So David identified four stories that he thought were critical. Ryan added an additional three today. That's seven total. If you will start with those seven when you're thinking about your storytelling, there are so many places you can go with those seven stories. I'd certainly encourage you to listen to episode 148 for another framework on how to do that effectively. Also, episode 228, Practical Storytelling That Isn't Awkward. David Hutchins returned to the show back on that episode, and we talked about what are some of the strategies and the insights that he's gained in teaching organizations about storytelling over the last several decades and how you can do it genuinely, as we talked about today, without being awkward. More tips there, episode 228. And also check out episode 268, Ignite Change Through Storytelling. 
Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez were on the show back then. Nancy's firm, uh, Duarte, is probably the leading organization in the world on presentation design and storytelling. Episode 268 was a fabulous conversation about how to do that strategically. You can access all three of those episodes episodes just by going to... I can never talk at the end of these. I don't know why. (laughs) Go to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Have a great week and see you next week for another episode on leadership. Take care.